The first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 12 to 22. If the neighbour is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbour may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Before the second Bible reading, we're going to join together in the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught his disciples. So uh, those words will be on the screen. If you're, if you're not familiar with them, please join with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Lisa's going to bring us out a reading from James and then Nick's going to open open the Bible for us. The second reading is from James 4, verse 13 to chapter 5, verse 6. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this, go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, It is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted 
and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Well, good morning again. Good morning. I'm going to say my congregation is more responsive than that. <laughs> Actually, I am excited to hear about how they went with Chris and whether they're ready for uh, Chris's kid talk. I mean, sermon. Um, I know both these passages start with the phrase, now listen. ESV says, come now. I would say it's listen carefully what I'm about to say. And it kind of reminds me of a situation I've never been in, I've seen in the movies, and hopefully no one here has ever experienced. Uh, But it's a situation where you come across a bomb, an explosive device hidden behind some machinery. And uh, so everyone evacuates, you're there, you're the amateur, you have no idea what you're doing, so you call up the bomb squad, and, the, and you open up uh, the device, and there's all these wires, there's a blue wire, a red wire, a blue and red wire, a red and blue wire, and you've got to cut the right one, you've got to do the right thing to disarm this bomb, and you call up the bomb squad, and the bomb defusal guy, the first thing they say to you is, listen carefully, listen carefully because this is very important instructions. And one wrong move can be the difference from walking away or disaster. And that's like how James speaks and introduces these two parts of Scripture uh, in his his letter uh, to Christians. Listen carefully. There's a fine line to tread here. And as I read, I see there's a fine line between planning and control. And there's a fine line between saving and hoarding. And God calls us, we've got to get it right. Or the result is disastrous. So listen carefully. So let's look at the first one uh, from verse 13. Uh, we, we just had it read. And I don't know what you thought when it was read, verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. That sounds like a pretty good plan, pretty good strategy. So they, they, they say, they give a time frame for this plan. Uh, they give a location. Uh, they give a, a time span. They'll spend a year. They give clear goals that they're going to follow. They've got a clear uh, goal they want to achieve, and they want to uh, achieve success. Isn't it good to plan like that? Isn't that good planning? Isn't uh, like striving uh, to succeed and have ambition a good, normal, natural thing? And to an extent, it is good. 
Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Like planning is good. And it's not exclusively wrong, explicitly wrong. Because James doesn't say, uh, you who say this, don't say it. But he gives an alternate instruction. The line is so subtle. Tim Keller says that this issue is so natural and so pervasive that if we do nothing, we'll fall into it. If we do nothing, we'll just find ourselves rebelling against God in this way. And it's scary because we fall into it if we do nothing. And I think that's why James finishes the chapter with that verse. If anyone who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. It's rebellion against God. So what's the problem? Thinking and planning, this will happen. I'll, tomorrow I'll go do this work. I'll get this job. I'll study at this place. I'll go marry that person. I'll make this much money. I'll save up for this thing. Look at what all this stuff that I'm going to do. Look at all these things that I'm going to achieve. We make, pl- we make plans as if we know what's going to happen. We know. We see. We, we, we've been around the block a bit. We know what's going to go down. As if it's our own world to conquer. But James says, you don't know. You don't know. Verse 14, why then do you even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? What is your life? It's a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I used to work as an engineer uh, before I went into ministry. And then I worked for a bit in Workplace Mission with Craig, which is a great um, great thing to get involved in. But as an engineer and a project manager, we used to have a saying that a project plan is one sure way the project will not go. <laughs> any, any engineers or project managers can relate. The plan we set is one sure way that the project's not going to go. Who remembers in 2019 writing their 2020 vision, Right? <laughs> 2020 vision. We know what's going to happen. Here's our goals for the year. Here's what we're going to achieve. Here's the churches we're going to plant. Here's the things that we're going to do. We, we're going to conquer the world in 2020. Woo. Um, <laughs> but the problem isn't that we're just being ignorant. It's not just that we're ignorant. What's, what's not good about this statement in verse 14 is there's something missing. There's something missing from it. What these people are doing, they're planning without reference to God. They're forgetting God and living out of reference with Him. They come to church on a Sunday and they go, Lord, I'm going to come. I'm going to worship you. Today is your day. Today is the day of the Lord. We'll worship you. But then Monday through to Saturday, God, that's me. That's me. That's my time. And I'm going to live that out. I'm going to do things. I'm going to do great things. And then Sunday I come worship. God's forgotten. And no one likes being forgotten. No one likes being the one not invited to the party. No one likes being the one that everyone forgot to write a Christmas card for. But even, even deeper than that, verse 16, James explains, as it is, you boast 
in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. This planning without reference to God assumes the place of God. It's this boastful, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to go down. I'm going to take credit for anything that happens. It's boastful. John uh, Tyson, a pastor in America who's from Adelaide, he calls this the plagiarism of the self. The plagiarism of the self. We know know what plagiarism is. Anyone who's been studying in the last 10 or 15 years uh, knows that you are absolutely never, ever, ever allowed to plagiarism, to plagiarize. You're not allowed to take credit for someone else's work, effort, ideas, or creation. Uh, You're not allowed to receive the benefit and the bonus when someone else does the effort. But we can do that of ourselves. We, We claim to be the authors of our own destinies, but we're not the authors of our destiny. We're not the ones that dictate and determine the steps that we're going to take. God is the author of our destiny. He's the one that is in control. He's the one that knows what's going to happen, not us. We take credit for what's God's. We assume God's place. That's boastful. James says it's evil. And we all do it. We all do it in different ways. It's the attitude of looking around and thinking, this is my world. I'm going to make a plan and control things to my advantage. This life is my own. And we take what God has made, what God has saved, what God has a plan and a will for, and we say, don't worry, I've got this. I don't need God. I've got this. I'll take it from here. And that means I'll take all the credit as well. It's boastful. It's evil. It's the plagiarism of the self. There must be a better way. And thankfully, James gives us one. He gives us one. Verse 15, he says what we ought to say, what we should say. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, what James is not doing, he's not giving us a word service, right? That if we just say the right thing on top of whatever we're doing and whatever whatever we're saying, then that kind of ticks that religious box and we're okay. So uh, um, back in the day, people used to say, Deo Valentia, which means if the Lord wills in Latin. And you just add that Christian jargon onto whatever sentence you have, and then it suddenly turns from being boastful to being really humble, right? But it, it's actually, it's almost worse because you're, you're making your own plans. You're doing things God's way, but you're just pretending to give him credit. James is not giving us a word service, words to say. He's giving us wisdom to live by. It's giving credit where credit's due. And look, look carefully at what it says and what it doesn't say. Because it doesn't say, if the Lord's will, if the Lord wills, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. It says, if the Lord wills, we'll live. 
will live. We are only on this earth because God has given us the gift of life itself. We don't know what would happen, but God does. And so we can plan, and it's good to plan, but we plan in light of God's goodness and God's grace for us. And if things go well, all glory to God. And if things don't go well, we are safe in the grace of God. And this kind of wisdom breeds gratitude and humility. And it starves pride and bitterness. It's the path of committing ourselves to God's will. If it's God's will, we'll live and we'll do this or that. Committing our plans, committing our steps, committing our days. And this is a, this is a day-to-day commitment. There's the old um, Casting Crowns song. Who knows Casting Crowns? Um, uh, the song Life Song, where the chorus goes, I'm going to sign your name at the end of my day, knowing that my heart was true. Let my life song sing to you. The Apostle Paul put it this way, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And so can you see the, the line is it's pretty subtle between planning and control. But we submit our lives, we commit our lives to Christ. And we'll find the right path. We'll live wisely. The next, um, to th- the next thing uh, in James 5, verse 1 to 6, I don't know about you when I heard that, but like, whoa, ouch. Like J- James is kind of putting on his Old Testament prophet uh, angry voice on. It's going Old Testament on him. And it comes off harsh, right? Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because the because of the misery that is coming for you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. This, the, the, the scene that's being painted here is a courtroom scene where the rich people's Riches and wealth and and the people they've oppressed in order to earn that wealth are coming and testifying against you, against the rich people. Imagine sitting before the judgment seat of God where God says, show me your riches. But you say, oh, I thought we don't bring any of that into, into eternity. It's like, no, you don't. But that tells me your priorities. That shows me what kind of life you've lived. And your riches and what you've done with them and how you've obtained them will testify against you. Imagine how scary that could be. But again, isn't, isn't saving good? Like, aren't we taught as kids to put away a little bit every time we're paid pocket money and, and save up and isn't, isn't saving good and is wealth then entirely evil? In um, Proverbs 21.20 says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, 
but fool's gulp there is down. Saving is good. Proverbs 6, uh, 6 to 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. She saves up. Isn't saving good? I think James kind of draws attention to what's the difference between saving and hoarding. It's all about what your money is doing. What is your money doing? What is your wealth doing? The scene he's, again, he's, the scene he's painting, your wealth has rotted, it's corroding. And it's, it's, he's painting this picture where this wealth that's been brought together, drawn, saved up, is just sitting there in the bank or in a treasure chest buried on an island, just rotting away, doing nothing. And by doing nothing, this money is doing something. Uh, James talks about how the, the rich have lived in luxury and they've indulged themselves. This, this wealth, this money, what's it being used for? For me, indulging my lifestyle, my desires, my preferences. We live in luxury, we benefit, but notice who paid the cost? Who, who worked for that wealth? It was the poor, the oppressed, the workers in the field that weren't paid their due. This is plagiarism of wealth. Someone, someone else has done all the effort. Someone else has paid the price, but we get the benefit. We get the luxury. Plagiarism of a wealth. And God is not okay with that. God is very deeply concerned with justice. We heard that from the Deuteronomy passage and picked that up very clearly there. And I think what this passage is doing is forcing us to ask and ask of ourselves is what is our money doing? What is, where does our money come from? Where is our money going? And money just sitting in the bank is still doing something. Is our money indulging our life and lifestyles? Is, is our money causing injustice or is our money healing injustice? Now, the application is not to, all right, all money's evil, sell everything and donate all our money to Trinity Allgate or Engage Our Faith or Hills Baptist. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't sell everything and do that. Do it, maybe do a little bit to the other two. Uh, I think what this, this passage is challenging us to do is become more aware of what our money is doing. Are we actually aware of where our money's come from and where our money's going and what our money's doing while sitting in our banks? Being more aware of our money. And I would say there are people here who are able to teach and train and equip others to be more aware of our money, right? Even just looking out in the car park, the cars that we're driving, we've got money. We've got wealth. As Australians, particularly in this area, we're in the top 1% of the world, no doubt, right? We have wealth. 
And there's people who, who know how to use money and how to be aware of money. People in this church who can train and help others do that. My dad was an accountant. He helped, he, he helped me learn how to handle money well and be aware of what it's doing. Uh, there's a book, a really helpful book called The Barefoot Investor. That was really helpful for uh, my wife Emily and I, figuring out how to use our money. Like recognizing money is doing something. How can we have a bit, of, bit more control of what it's doing? Uh, there's also another book that's come out recently, The Barefoot Disciple, which is like the Christian version of that book. I've heard good things. Haven't read it, so I don't really want to throw my whole weight behind the recommendation, but I've heard good things, so you may as well get it and use it. Uh, last year, Emily and I, we changed the way we were banking uh, to, so that we could be more aware of our money because we found that without thinking and without any effort, we would just spend more on more on those little luxuries for ourselves and over time, that would just build and build and build and before we knew it, we were spending more than we intended to on personal luxuries, indulging ourselves and less and less on the things that we actually wanted to invest in. That was happening without effort. We knew the good we ought to do, but we didn't do it. And so it was sin. How can we become more aware of our money? Uh, that's something to discuss in your small groups. I really hope you're part of one. Um, some, some quick things to, to throw out there and consider. Uh, the first, uh, there's this organization called Christian Super. Um, we all, anyone who works has superannuation. Uh, Christian Super kind of operates just like any other super fund where they take uh, take your, your super contributions, they invest it in different things to return benefits uh, to, to the investor, to the super owner. But the Christian super invests exclusively in projects uh, in, in um, third world countries, in projects to bring justice, in projects to alleviate uh, poverty. And it still returns pretty much and performs pretty much the same as any other super fund, but you, you've got a bit more awareness of what your super is doing. So something to check out, Christian Super. Another thing, Baptist World Aid Ethical Shopping Guide. Who's heard of that before? Phew, great. Absolutely worth checking out. You know, there's a lot of clothing that's really cheap, right? There's fast fashion, there's a whole industry. Clothing is really cheap. But the question we've got to ask is who really paid for that? Who actually paid for that? If I can buy a shirt for 15 bucks, who paid, who actually paid for it? Uh, the Baptist World Aid Ethical Shopping Guide helps us figure that kind of stuff out. They've done the research so we can make informed decisions with our spending. The other one is giving at church, right? It's great for someone else to come in and talk. I hope Chris mentions that at my church. <laughs> I don't, I don't, not sure how he'd get there from Habakkuk, but. Um, <laughs> right, people are very comfortable if I were to say you should. Uh, set aside 10% of your income to save towards a great big holiday. Or if you set aside 10% of your income to save towards a house deposit. People are very comfortable with that. But if I were to set, suggest set aside 10% of your income to invest in kingdom work, saving souls, alleviating injustice in the Allgate area and through the work of this community as we care for each other, as we're on mission together, here to the Adelaide Hills, to the ends of the earth. 
setting aside 10% of our income for, for church becomes a lot trickier. Something to think about. Something to invest in that has eternal rewards. Do we know what our money is doing? I think a part of the problem that we, that we really struggle with this stuff, particularly in the West, particularly when we have wealth, is because we get caught up in the American dream or the Australian dream, the Western dream. Whoever dies with the most stuff wins, right? Wrong. No, that's wrong. Whoever trusts in Jesus and goes to heaven wins. Yes. But then we, we think, all right, so when I die and I trust in Jesus, I'll go to heaven. So in the meantime, well, I can, I can actually have a great time on earth. And I'll, I'll, I'll amass all this wealth. I'll save up. I'll work really hard, get all this stuff for myself. I'll enjoy my life on this earth and, and work hard, play hard, party hard. And then I'll die. I'll go to heaven. And that's great. And we begin, and this kind of forms the contemporary Christian mantra. For me to live is gain, and to die is Christ. But that's not right. That's not what Paul said. It's not what James is saying. We live for Christ, and we use our living for Christ. And this cuts to the heart of the gospel, of the truth, the great story of God and us. And I know you guys hear it regularly, but we keep needing to tell it to ourselves. Jesus died and rose again to save you from your sin and your selfishness and your pride and your plagiarism. Jesus did that work in its entirety. There is nothing that you or I contributed to our salvation. There is nothing that you or I bring to the table when we come to meet with God, except our own sin and brokenness and corruption, which Jesus himself takes and he pays the penalty for and he pays that debt and he gives us what he brings to the table, which is his righteousness, his perfect life, his acceptance with the Father, his adoption into the family of God. And there's nothing that we do that earns our salvation, earns our right to be part of the people of God. Everything is done through the work and love and grace of Jesus. And so there's no place for entitlement in the kingdom of God. There is no place for pride. There is no place for plagiarism of the self where we take credit for what God has done. There is no step or work or even breath that is not a gift from Jesus Christ. For we are not our own. And what is our own is not our own. It all belongs to Jesus. It all belongs to Jesus. So for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as we live this, we, as we live our lives by this mantra, we undo the plagiarism of the self. The life I live is for Christ and by Christ. And the wealth I have is a gift from God and a gift to use for God. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We work ourselves out of plagiarism of the self by gospeling ourselves 
telling ourselves the gospel again and again and again and then again after that. And James says, if it's the Lord's will, I live. That's the gospel. We are saved. We breathe. We are on this earth because God loves us and saves us. We're in the family of God because God loves us and God saves us. It's only by the Lord's will I live. And I live for the Lord. We give God the glory and credit and we live for his plan and his purpose. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gospel, the good news that you are a good God. You loved us. You saved us. You've adopted us into your family. You've given us riches and and, and spiritual wealth beyond our wildest dreams. And Lord, whatever we might do on this earth, whatever we might have on this earth, we pray we might use for your glory, for your kingdom, for your purposes. And Lord, we pray you would help us provide the space each day to to make that commitment to you. And Lord, we pray for the space and and the the tools needed to um, sit down and look at our finances and become more aware of what our money is doing. Lord, we pray that as we um, enter the throne room of God, saved by God's grace alone. And we know we're, we're with you. We know we get to experience life with you, eternal life with you. And when you, when you ask, how did you live your life? We wouldn't think of the, the wealth and the riches, the experiences, but Lord, we would, we would think of the race we've run pursuing Jesus and his work and will. And that you would say to us, well done, good and faithful sermon. Not, what, not the words in James 5, but those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, may our lives uh, be a living sacrifice to you. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.